listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. This morning, we are beginning a brand new series entitled, Teach Us to Pray. So for the next four weeks, we are going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer. So to begin this morning, I believe I need to begin with a confession that I do not consider myself a good prayer. I grew up in a Christian home where God was often talked about, Jesus was often referred to, the Bible was opened and read, I attended Bible study, I learned the major Bible stories and the books of the Bible, I attended church camp every summer, I went to seminary twice, and I still do not consider myself a good prayer. So in my preparation, I want you to know this has been, it's been good for my soul, it's been good for my life, it has been good for ministry this past week. But in fact, my preparation actually began Actually, several months ago, I found myself being very convicted over my lack of prayer. So I began reading some books that I had found, and then I began searching the scriptures. And what I noticed was, I don't know why I'd never seen this before, but how often Jesus prayed. He prayed before his death. He prayed on the cross. He prayed at his baptism before choosing his disciples before his transfiguration, and many, many more. Then a few weeks ago, our senior pastor, Ross Strader, kind of threw out the idea of, for November, preaching on the idea of prayer. And so I want you to know, I feel like this has been divine providence in so many ways. And so here's why I believe, and I'm now absolutely convinced of, my success... My success as a leader and a preacher, as a husband, a dad, and even a shepherd is directly related to my prayer life. And so this is my hope and this is my prayer for this series is that we, all of us, would become a greater people of prayer. Through this, I hope we will begin praying more, that we will pray before and after things. We will pray with our children. We will pray with our spouses. And that we would not just utter words and see prayer as a duty, but that we would find great joy in praying and to pray with an unearthly confidence. So let's begin this morning by actually defining, well, what is this idea of prayer? There are probably many ways we could go about defining it and looking at what prayer means In fact, prayer is seen as practiced by many people, in fact, many religions. Muslims pray five times a day. If you grew up Jewish, you traditionally would pray three times throughout the day. But prayer, in fact, is not even limited to kind of monotheistic, one singular gods. We see Buddhists. They use prayer wheels, which fling prayers for compassion into the atmosphere. Hindus, they pray for help or for peace in the world to several gods. In fact, their highest leaders pray that they would escape the cycles of reincarnation. 
What's interesting is that even deliberately non-religious people, they pray. I read an article this past week that reported that 30% of atheists admitted that they prayed sometimes. So prayer is this, it's an attempt. It's an attempt to communicate between the human and the divine. So then what is really then Christian prayer? Well, this is how I would define it. I would define prayer as responding to our knowledge of God. That's how I see prayer. Prayer is responding to our knowledge of God. And this is why we say prayer, and we see it in almost every false religion, even people who deliberately denounce God, that God has written His law on every human heart. And there is something in all of us that wants to communicate with the divine. Now hear me say, not all prayers are Christian because their hearts and their minds are blinded to that knowledge. But when a person's heart is changed and they believe in the God of the Bible, Christian prayer is then seen. So as our knowledge then of God grows, so does our response to that knowledge. So prayer is our responding to our knowledge of God. So let's turn our attentions now to the passage that we'll be looking at each week. There's two places you can find the Lord's Prayer. The challenges and encouraging thing would be this. Read them every day. You could go to Matthew chapter 6 or Luke chapter 11. But I want to turn our focus to Matthew 6. As you're turning there, Matthew chapter 6, I want you to know this is a dangerous prayer. This prayer can and can radically change your life. This prayer, I believe, can take you to something vastly greater than yourself. So Matthew chapter 6, let me kind of place it in context so we kind of understand what's going on and around when we get to the idea of the Lord's prayer. Matthew chapter 4 we see Jesus is going around, he is teaching, and he's, he's performing miracles and things that people have not seen or ever heard before. He's given blind, uh, giving sight to the blind. He's, he's, for the first time, taking people that are lame and giving them legs that work. He's casting out demons. Jesus is also teaching things and in ways that people have never heard, and people are coming to him in droves. His popularity is growing immensely. But the chapter ends, in chapter 4, and it says that Jesus withdrew from the great crowds that were following him. And then Matthew chapter 5 begins where he withdraws from them and he gathers his closest disciples with him. And he begins to teach them. And then Matthew chapter 5 through 7, we have the longest recorded teaching of Jesus, often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. Well, the, the Sermon on the Mount, there's a lot of discussion. There's been a lot written on it. And it's not a, a list of rules that people that are to follow Jesus, that this is what you must do. It's, it's not a how to be salt and light. It's not just how you can become uh, and use your anger. It's not how to stay married or how not to retaliate or how to give to the poor or how not to have anxiety. But Jesus is doing something else. He is painting a picture. He's painting a picture with incredible detail of what a true follower of him looks like. And the height, the highlight of this picture 
the thing that should catch our eye and stop us dead in our tracks is the Lord's Prayer. So I'd like to read it this morning and We'll begin at verse 5 of chapter 6. And so just know it's a a section, a larger uh, teaching. He's painting this picture. And this is what it says beginning in verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. That they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. And do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Instead, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forget, do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So I want you to notice, first of all, the, the structure of this prayer that Jesus has just told his disciples that their motives for, first of all, giving to the poor and praying are just as important as what you do and what you say. Our prayers and our actions should not be done so that people notice them or that we want to impress other people. So Jesus lays out a prayer. First of all, he gives an introduction. Our Father in heaven. This morning, we're going to cover four words. And then he gives three petitions or requests. Hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come, and your will be done. And then he gives three more petitions or requests. Give us your daily bread, forgive our debts, and lead us not into Temptation. So notice that the first three petitions or requests are in relation to who God is and what His will or His plan is. Then the second three are in relation to us and our needs. So this week I want us to look at that introduction. Next week we'll get into the, the first three petitions, the week after that, the last three, and then the doxology. But the first word he begins with, our. Our Father. This word that Jesus uses in his teaching to his disciples is so profound. He begins with this word, our, and he wants them to know and to experience something. By this one simple word, he wants them to experience unity. As Christians, we all have the same Father. No believer, no believer stands alone. And when we say our, we are affirming that all of us who are believers in Christ, are brothers and sisters. So our, it not only calls us upward to God, it calls us outward to each other. Now he's not saying that you're only to pray quietly or 
individually or privately. In fact, we know we should do that. We should find time that we are in our privacy of our own home, in our own rooms, and we are crying out and we're praying to Him. But it's also meant to be done publicly. In fact, Jesus just previously encouraged that. But the glorious and the comforting truth is that all believers here on earth in all the prayers of the saints before us we're responding to the same God that we all share. So he wants this idea that we're all in this together. And then he says, Father. The second word he uses, I think, is even more profound. It's the word patir, which could be translated often Abba. And Abba, it's, it's not a very formal word. In fact, it is a word, it was very common, but it's a word that often a child would use when they address their father. The closest thing we might have would be dad or daddy. It is a very intimate term. But here's something very interesting and impactful. Nowhere in the Old Testament, you can search everywhere in the Old Testament, and you will not find one individual speaking to God as father. Corporately, you'll see it, but there's never an individual where you see them say, and they call upon God as father. But when Jesus comes, When you read through the New Testament, Jesus always addresses God in this way. He only uses the reference of Father. He never uses anything else. So, and why is that? Why is that important? In the Old Testament, you never see an individual referring to God as Father. But we get to the New Testament, and that's the only thing that Jesus uses. Now, I'm going to draw out three things that I believe this implies. First of all, I think Jesus is showing that he is sharing. He is sharing his sonship with us. See, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is authorizing his disciples. He said, pray like this. He is authorizing them to repeat these words and to repeat the word Abba after him. He's given them a share in his sonship, and he empowers them as the disciples to speak to God as their heavenly Father. In fact, listen to the beautiful way Kent Hughes says this. When we say Abba today in our prayers, as we sometimes do, we are making the same sound that actually fell from Jesus' lips and from the lips of his disciples. So when we pray, when we say our Father, we can rest in the truth that we are God's children. We are his sons and daughters through Christ. And we're not praying to some distant deity. We're praying to our loving Father. Listen to what we see elsewhere in the New Testament. Galatians 4, 6. And because because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Romans 8, 15 and 16. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So addressing God as Father or Abba is a mark of authentic faith. And that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. So the first thing we see in our Father is that Jesus is sharing. He is sharing his sonship with us. The second thing, I believe it gives us an unshakable confidence. 
Knowing God as Father, it brings a confidence that it's hard to describe at times. You know, being a parent can be one of the most frustrating, one of the most joyful things you'll ever do. You know, it's in that moment. Do you remember when your children were first learning to swim? You know, they could swim, I don't know, they could kick their arms and legs just enough to maybe swim four or five, maybe six feet. Take them to the edge of the pool, you point them to the goal, and they start kicking. It's like you wind up the little duck and you send them on their way, and then they kick and splash, and they finally reach to the side. And then comes that moment, they've been watching everyone go off that diving board. And they think, now is my time, I'm going to do that. Every child I've ever seen for the first time, man, they're excited. They walk to the end of that board, and every one of them freeze. Mom and, or dad are out there before them, and naturally, we, they just hesitate. They, they look down, and they know you as their parent, but they're just not quite sure you can keep them from sinking. They're, they're just not sure. They've seen you put them in a car and buckle you and take you safely from place to place. They've seen you reach inside this closet to clothe them so they don't go naked. They've seen you in the kitchen preparing meals so that they do not starve. But as they are standing over that water, they're just not quite sure you possess all the power to keep them from drowning. It just happens. So after much coercion, after promising all kinds of things, encouraging them, they finally leap out. You reach out your arms and you grab them and you let them go under just enough and they come up and they wipe that water from their face. They take that deep breath and there is this smile like you've never seen before. Then when they finally have done that, all they want to do is jump over and over and over again. Because you know what? They now have no doubt that their Abba will catch them. You know, the use of this intimate word to address God is one... That should give us great confidence that God will never let you go and He will never let you perish. He will catch you every single time. So not only is Jesus sharing in His sonship, not only does it give us an unbreakable confidence, it gives us unbreakable security. The idea of God as our Father, as our Abba, is not only a sign that we belong to Him, that Jesus has shared that with us. It not only gives us full confidence in Him that He will catch us, it is one of the most healing doctrines that we have. Some of you, like me, grew up with great dads. Not perfect dads, but but great dads. Others were in relationships with their fathers that maybe was negative at best. And others, sadly, some have never known the love and the care of an earthly father. But whatever your background, we all need the touch of a father. And our God wants to provide that. And I see this in some families, and we've even experienced this in some ways. I don't know if you've ever been around a child that um, has experienced some difficult things early on. Maybe abuse or neglect. But what you notice, and you'll understand this, is that there are many children that come from what we often call hard places. There there are things that happen, there are, are circumstances around them. And every child that comes from a place of hardship, a difficult place, whether they realize it or not, there's there's something missing. And oftentimes what is missing is that they don't trust people. 
They don't trust others. Even those that have opened up their hearts and homes to them, there's just there's not a trust, there's not a security that comes natural. We have some friends that years ago opened up their home to a little girl, called us one day to share with us what happened. And um, and they loved and they cared for her, but there was just still, there was no security in this girl. She had not learned to trust them fully yet. One morning, the mother woke up, and she went in to check on her new daughter. She found the little girl sitting up. She was sitting kind of in the far corner of her bed, no telling how long she had been up on the floor. The mother noticed a blanket neatly placed and stretched out. The mother went to pick up that blanket and she noticed that the little girl, and she noticed why she looked so frightful. See, sometime in the night, the little girl got sick at her stomach. From, probably from all the new things, new spells, new food, new people, new atmosphere. But the little girl got sick in the middle of the night. And because it was such a lack of security, all she knew to do was to try to cover up the mess. She knew security in that mother that she could walk in and wake her up and that she could make it okay. And when that mother realized what had happened, she gently moved in and she slowly made her way over to the little girl, covered in throw up, just to put her arm around her. But the little girl did not have enough security to come to her mother when she needed help. She thought there was no one that would help her. You know, there is nothing, there is absolutely nothing to fear or to think that you need to hide under a blanket from your heavenly father. He knows all and he fully accepts and he loves you unconditionally. But Jesus showed his disciples that they could call out, even cry out to God as Abba, Father, and that there was security in that relationship. There is nothing that they could do to break that. So what are you showing that in, in prayer, what we get to do at the very beginning of this, that Jesus wants to make sure his disciples understand that they are not praying to some far off, unconnected, unaware, uncaring deity. No, they can reach out to a loving and caring father that we all get to share. And we can have great confidence and great security in him. So the first thing Jesus shows is how intimate and close this relationship is with the one that we get to pray to. But then there's another side. He says, our Father, and he wants to make sure in heaven. So why is that? Why is that so important? I believe the in heaven part is noting God's sovereignty and his majesty that Jesus wants us to know him as loving Father or loving Abba. But he wants to make sure that we are aware of his holiness and how far superior he is to us. And so hear me, God is not the big man upstairs and he is not the big boss in the sky. He is our loving heavenly father and we are praying to the only one that knows all, is everywhere, always understands, is always loving and caring, never forgets, always comes through for us because he is the one. It has always been and always will be. He created all things. He is our Father in heaven. So first of all, I believe this is what Jesus is saying. First of all, know God is a Father to you. 
and his fatherhood. It relates to his readiness and his eagerness to meet your earthly needs. And next week, we will, or in two weeks, we will talk through all of that. But second, God is above us and over all in heaven. In his heavenliness, it relates to his supreme right to be given worship and allegiance and obedience. And next week, we're going to drill deep into that. And all we begin, we see, and I believe and I hope and I pray through all of this, that we will begin to see how dangerous this prayer really is. I don't know exactly how you feel about your prayer life. I confessed mine. But I know for me, man, I often feel guilty for not praying enough. I do. I, I, I just feel guilty for that. I feel shameful that sometimes I don't believe that my prayers really make a difference. I feel unworthy when I read about guys like Martin Luther that prayed two to three hours a day. But here's what I hope we walk away with today. And as we will walk through the Lord's Prayer. The power of my prayers and the power of your prayers and the effectiveness of them does not lie primarily in our efforts or our striving or in our technique, but rather in our knowledge of who God is. If we want our prayer life to grow, if we truly desire to be a praying people, if we want to see the effectiveness of our prayers, the key is increasing our knowledge of who God is. So today, I hope that you and I have a greater knowledge and a greater appreciation that you and I get to call out to our Heavenly Father and that He is always there ready to hear us. Because you know what? I, I could never probably get in to see the President. In fact, I could probably never without pulling some strings get in to even see our local mayor. Do you know what I can do? I get to call out to the one true God of the universe, and I get to call him Father. And the same is true for all of us. So this morning, I want us to look to him. I want us to look to our heavenly Father through the one, through his Son, that makes that relationship possible. This morning, as part of our worship, we're going to observe communion. There's going to be led by one of our elders this morning. But as we sang about it, I want to make sure that you know this table isn't go get your life together and then come and sit down. The table is for when our lives are totally messed up, they're totally a wreck. And we come to the table that way. That's the invitation. We get to come this morning to the table and we get to participate in the benefits of Jesus' death for us. We get to celebrate and we get to think about the one that lived the life that we should have lived and he died the death that we should have deserved. So this morning we come to the table needy. We come to the table messed up. We come to the table feeling like I never pray enough. We come to the table realizing that I don't have enough confidence in my prayers. We come to the table that way because it is an invitation not to get your life right, to become to the one whose life was always that way. And so I'm going to lead us in a closing prayer. And during that time, I'm going to ask uh, Elder Kent and the men that are going to lead our communion to line up. Father, in this moment, 
we want to come before you and to come before the table that you have set. Of the ordinance you have given us, Lord, we want to take this seriously. We want to come with hearts and minds ready. We come to this not based upon our own actions or performance. We come to this based upon what your Son has done on our behalf. Father, he lived the life that we should have lived and he died the death that we should have died. So, Father, help us to reflect upon him this morning. And, Father, we are thankful. We are thankful that we get to crawl out to you, our Abba. And it's in your Son's name that we come before this morning by the power of your Spirit. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.